It was 25 years ago this Christmas Eve. I was spending Christmas with my family in Pennsylvania after studying a semester in Israel. My boyfriend at the time, Andy Roll, was going to be spending Christmas with us. I didn't know it, but he had chosen to surprise me on Christmas Day with an engagement ring. And I mean truly surprise. I mean, we had not even discussed marriage, though we had been uh, friends all throughout college. We hadn't discussed preferences for rings, let alone ring shopping. And he did a very good job concealing it. It was in a huge package, not a little ring box. So I was truly surprised as my sister-in-law captured in this moment. Uh, But he dropped to his knee with my family in the living room and said, will you marry me? Now, I have had many intense and stress-filled moments in my life, but I'm not sure I will ever fully appreciate just how difficult that must be for the one proposing to wait for that answer. I would imagine the seconds feel like days, and the longer the wait, the more anxious you might become. Yes, I will. And that small word changed the entire trajectory of my life in very good and wonderful ways. Positive surprises come to all of us at various times in our lives. Unexpected events that change the course of your life story. You get accepted into your dream school. You get the promotion. You get that dream job. You, get to, you make the team or you get that part in the play. You're pregnant. The offer in your house is accepted. Now, what do we do when the news we are surprised by is not as positive? It's a lot easier when it's a positive surprise. But when it's not, when the unexpected circumstance doesn't fit with our plans or what we had anticipated. The company was facing financial challenges, so they had to make some cuts. The test results were not good. The relationship we thought would last a long time has come to an end. Or maybe it's even a smaller scale situation. The plan we had for our future is, for whatever reason, no longer possible. The story we're looking at today in Luke 1, 26 to 38, describes this kind of divine interruption in which divine news is shared that then leads to a divine invitation. An angel interrupts a young girl, Mary, and delivers the surprising and unexpected news. She's going to have a baby. And not just any baby, but Jesus, the Savior of the world. And while that is positive news, it is going to radically change the trajectory of Mary's life. This will be a costly change of plan. And she has to decide how to respond to the invitation, whether she will say yes or whether she will say no. And the impact of that decision is life-changing, not only for her, but also for the world. Before we read the passage, I want to say it is entirely true that the story of God becoming a human being supernaturally by the Virgin Mary is a one-and-done thing. This is a never-to-be-repeated event in history. That's why it's such a special time of year. And in that sense, this story is not directly relevant to us. And yet, if it is true that the living God has a plan that is bigger than what we can see, and it is for our good, and he is always at work drawing us to himself, which I believe, then it is possible he is still interrupting us 
sharing news and issuing invitations for us to respond to. Now, I want to be clear. Not all interruptions are divine. Not all unexpected circumstances or changes of plans are directly caused by God. Even though God is sovereign over all, that does not mean he is the prime causer of all things. Remember last week we talked about the world, the flesh, the devil. There are other forces at work seeking to hinder us, frustrate us, discourage us, even destroy us. Some tragedies are the result of us living in a broken, fallen world. That is not yet the way God wants it to be and will make it be when he comes again. But even still, if God loves us and wants us to see and experience a fulfilling life, and I believe he does, then he is always at work initiating with us. Maybe he is at work even now, stirring something inside you, discontentment or lack of fulfillment with your career. A desire to reconcile with a family member. A desire to establish newer, healthier patterns in your life. Maybe he's presenting you with an opportunity, and while unexpected, it demands a response. Will you say yes? Or will you instead hold on to your own plans, your own clearly defined future, and what is known? Mary says yes, and it is life-changing. As we listen to each scene in this narrative, there's a corresponding action Mary took that we also can take if we have the courage and faith to respond as she did. Hear now the word of the Lord from Luke 1, 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, its own miracle story told previous chapter, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a small town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Scene one, divine interruption, verses 26 to 29. This story opens with a divine interruption, a very sudden, unexpected appearing of a guest. We know it's unexpected because verse 29 summarizes, Mary was greatly troubled and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now I'll admit, the text is painfully sparse on the details. Where did Gabriel appear to Mary? 
in her bedroom as this 19th century painting by Dante Rossetti depicts, in a field where she's going about her work. What was her day like uh, until that moment? Was she having a bad day and this is just like the straw that breaks the camel's back? Was she having a good day and now all of a sudden it's, this comes out of nowhere? We are not told. Which means the few details we are told are significant. And here's what we're told. Mary's from Nazareth. She's a virgin, pledged to be married to Joseph, and she's highly favored. You can still visit the site of Nazareth Nazareth today in Israel. It's a small town, northern province of Galilee. Population estimates are between 500 and 2,000 at the time, depending on where you draw the line in the country on the, the hillside for its boundaries. Regardless, Nazareth is no destination wedding, friends. It's a far cry from the center of the cultural religious life of Jerusalem, where Zechariah was just last chapter. Furthermore, we're told Mary's a virgin, pledged to be married. Jewish girls were pledged to be married at about 12 years of age. Their engagement lasted usually a year, puts Mary about 13 years of age when the angel comes to her. As a female in a patriarchal society, as a young girl, where children were not as valued, and as an unmarried individual, she had low status. Even the name Mary was quite a common name. About half the names of women recorded at this time were Mary. She's one of the least likely people you'd expect God to send an angel to, to appear to, let alone have a special assignment for. And the last descriptor of this reiterates that truth. She's highly favored. Now, the Latin translation of this phrase, full of grace, led to some confusion and to the suggestion Mary was free of sin. But the Bible doesn't actually give us any indication of that. Instead, highly favored actually means the opposite. It means having been given grace, having been treated graciously, meaning she was graciously chosen by God for this role because of God's work in her life, not necessarily because she was deserving She should be honored and revered for her absolutely unique role in mothering Jesus, but she is not to be worshiped. Before we move on to the message the angel shares with Mary, it's worth reflecting on Mary's response to this divine interruption. She listens. If we're going to be open to the ways God may be at work in our lives, we first need to listen. Now, I get there are a lot of barriers to listening, One is we may feel unimportant. God wouldn't speak to little old me. He's off in meetings with more important people. Interestingly, this is one conclusion we are not permitted to come to from this passage. If you think that's how God is, I'm not sure we're talking about the same God here. This is the God of peasant girls and small towns. This is the God whose type just might be the underdog, the overlooked, the dismissed, the unseen. We see this much more clearly in the next chapter when Mary sings her Magnificat. But one thing is for sure, God very much wants to speak to people who will listen, regardless of their place in society or position. Perhaps a more common barrier to listening to God's interruption for most people is we're unwilling to change our plans. Just the word interruption, let's be honest, How many of you does that irritate you, just the word? (laughs) I have plans. I have things to do. 
I have tasks. I have things figured out on my own. Thank you very much. I do not want to be interrupted. Might it be possible that God has something better in store for us than we have planned for ourselves? I know it's hard to believe, but I think it's worth considering. A really legitimate barrier to listening might be it's unclear to us whether it is really indeed God speaking. Uh, I don't know about you, but I imagine it would be much easier for me to receive a divine interruption if it came with a literal angel standing before me. Would that God would do that today. But sometimes I wonder if he is trying to get our attention in more subtle ways. That person he keeps putting in front of your path. That idea that keeps popping into your heads. The face of the person you need to keep forgiving. The dollar amount we're being told to give away generously. The job or educational opportunity that seems kind of far-fetched. Sometimes it's hard to hear his voice, his interruption. You may want to get help and input from others who know his voice well. It's interesting in the story, God gave Mary and Elizabeth each other to help one another confirm God's word to them. These are some barriers we face in listening to God's interruptions, but sometimes, if I'm honest, I really don't want to hear what he has to say because I know there might be a cost to it. No, thank you. If we want to say yes to God's divine interruptions, we must first be willing to listen. For when we do, we might hear some interesting information. That's the second scene in the story, divine news, verses 30 to 37. Once Mary gets over the initial shock and confusion, she listens to what Gabriel has to say. And that's when she hears some incredible news. Incredible as in wonderful, life-changing, amazing. Verse 31 begins, you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now, by our standards today, that is a lame gender reveal party. It's just she and Gabriel. There's no parents. There's no friends. Joseph's not even around to hear that this is a boy. But this is an unusual birth. There's so much more at stake. This baby is unlike every, any other boy. Every superhero has an origin story. Here we get to hear Jesus's. So verses 31 to 33, you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The angel Gabriel is giving a number of Old Testament references here that were packed with meaning. And Mary, good Jewish girl that she was, knew what Gabriel meant by this. Jesus, Yehoshua, Yahweh saves in Hebrew. Great, a title reserved in the Old Testament for God alone, unless it was specified other. Most High was always understood to point to God. So Son of the Most High reveals Jesus' divinity. The throne of his father David was a reference to the long-awaited Messiah who was expected to come from the line of David, of which Joseph is. And this will be no passing king, like the others Israel had in her history. This king would rule forever. Mary's baby boy is the long-awaited king who has come to save his people. Incredible. Now, as wonderful and incredible as that news was, and it was, there is one problem. And the narrator takes great care to make sure we see the problem by mentioning it three times in these verses. Did you catch it? Mary is a virgin. 
This is one word that hasn't changed over time. <laughs> it still means what it meant then. Mary has had no sexual relations, whatever, thus prompting her question in verse 34 and Gabriel's response. She's only a teenager, but she knows babies don't suddenly appear in women's bodies. So what was incredible by way of amazing and wonderful is now also incredible, as in impossible. This, there does not seem to be any possible way God can do what he is promising here, at least not from Mary's perspective. So she asks a clarifying question in verse 34. How will this be since I am a virgin? Ah, uh, am I supposed to do anything about this? What's my role here? And Gabriel's response, while not as detailed as we would like, makes clear Jesus will be created without a human father. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Somehow, in a way insufficient for geneticists to account for, the Holy Spirit will create this baby. This is actually quite different from the pagan accounts that existed at the time of Greek gods coming and impregnating human women. Just think of the demigod series, Percy Jackson. With remarkable yet frustrating to us restraint, Luke insists the baby Jesus is conceived without a human father. Divine news. There's no way Mary could have understood this fully or completely. This kind of thing has never happened before, nor since. And yet she understood enough to respond with faith, with belief. Just a few verses later, when she goes to visit her relative Elizabeth, Zachariah's wife, Elizabeth says, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. If the first step is saying yes to God's divine interruption is to listen, the second step in responding to divine news is believe. To believe the angel's assertion in verse 37, no word from the God will ever fail. That can be rendered, nothing is impossible with God. Jesus himself will make this same claim later on in Luke's gospel. Luke 18, 27, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Mary chose to believe that even though there was no precedent for this, no paradigm for this, there's no evidence in favor of this, God would still do what he said he would do. And that is, in fact, the very definition of faith. To take God at his word when all evidence is to the contrary. Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The fact is, if we could see how it would all work out, it doesn't require faith. That's just good planning. It is when we can't see how it will all work out that faith is essential. I was praying with a friend recently, and at one point she said slash prayed, it feels like this is a lot to ask God. It feels like this is a miracle. And then we both sort of laughed and admitted, you know, everything we're praying for will require a miracle here. And if we could handle this on our own, why would we be asking God, right? I know many here face impossible situations. Relationships that need healing. 
financial problems that require provision, direction with a job, or otherwise difficult decision that requires wisdom, physical, mental health challenges that are way beyond your abilities. Our God specializes in miracles. He is the God of the impossible. His story starts with a virgin birth and ends with a death-defying empty tomb. If we don't believe the impossible is possible, what are we doing here? And if he is capable of that, is he not also capable of doing immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine? But he cannot do it if we respond with disbelief. So let us listen to the divine interruption before us. Let us believe the divine news and then let us obey the divine invitation. Verse 38. Because a divine interruption, sharing divine news always leads to a divine invitation. Mary's response is a clear yes. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Once again... The information is frustratingly sparse. I want more details. Did she go right away as soon as Gabriel left to tell her fiancé, Joseph, the news? How do you think that went over? I'm pregnant. Uh, No, I wasn't unfaithful, I promise. I'd still like to marry you, and would you raise this baby as your own? Or did she instead leave immediately for Jerusalem and go see Elizabeth? That could have been a convenient excuse for wanting to help old Elizabeth in her final trimester with all the housework, all the while buying some time to see if she began experiencing any changes in her own body that might confirm the angel's message. We don't know exactly. Matthew 2 tells us Joseph's side of the origin story. And in that, Joseph knows of Mary's pregnancy, but we aren't told how or when he finds out. Whatever the sequence, it's clear some girl time with these two pregnant family members, whether they're cousins or aunt and niece, it's a huge encouragement to them both. They needed that time to get through what was coming next. Because Mary's yes to Gabriel, to God, comes with quite a cost. It costs her her future and plans. And when she says yes, she's not even sure if it will cost her the man she loves. But God does some work behind the scenes to help her navigate that. I just referenced that in Matthew 2. Surely she had an idea of how her life was going to go. This wasn't it. Mary's yes cost her her reputation. Oh, Gabriel may call her highly favored here, but upon accepting the angel's message, she's about to become unfavored in the eyes of her entire community. Her fiancé, her parents, her whole town... An engaged teenager found pregnant before the wedding, much more scandalous then, as it might be now. And as many of you know, small towns have long memories. This narrative will follow her the rest of her life. Decades later, this is a charge Jesus' opponents actually lodge against him in John 8, 41. When they're arguing with Jesus, some of the Jewish people lash out, well, at least we're not illegitimate children, subtext, like you. You better believe Mary's yes was costly to her plans, her relationship, her reputation. Did she really have a choice in the matter? Could she have said no? I think so. The language in the story doesn't make it explicitly clear, but in terms of how God works with human beings throughout history, he does not force us to do anything. 
He generally extends invitations, not ultimatums. He desires human obedience, not robotic compliance. Psalm 139, 1-4 tells us that even though God does not force his way on us, since he is all-knowing, he does know what our response will be. You have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways before. Word is even on my tongue. You know it completely. Maybe the reason the story sounds like it was a done deal isn't because Mary didn't have a choice, but rather because God knew she would say yes. Yes to his invitation when it didn't make sense and when it caused her to drastically change her plans. I wonder what invitations God has issued to you today. Will you say yes, even though it will mean a change of plans, even though there will be a cost, even though others may misunderstand you, even though you don't see how it will work out. If you're wrestling with how to respond to God's interruption in some way, I hope Mary's example is inspiring and encouraging to you. City Church, it's true that the divine interruption to a peasant girl to become the mother of God, that's a once-in-a-lifetime, never-to-be-repeated invitation. And yet, The same God from that first Christmas 2,000 years ago is still alive and at work today. He is still interrupting in unexpected, often inconvenient ways. His invitation is often incredible, maybe seemingly even impossible. And our response of obedience is often costly. I don't know how many minutes passed before Mary found the strength and courage to give the angel her response. I imagine a long pregnant pause. And then, yes. And that small word changed the trajectory of her life. And nine months later and for the next 33 years, she got to witness and be a part of God's incredible, impossible plan play out before her. Who knows just what incredible, impossible things God may want to do with us when we, like Mary, say yes. What do you say we find out? Let's pray. It's really hard, God, to believe the impossible might be possible. It's really hard. But you have done it, and you continue to do it. And we would have faith to believe it. We ask that you would open our ears, that you would give us faith instead of sight, and that we would have courage to press in to whatever it is you are inviting us into with obedience. This can only be a work of the Holy Spirit. Like Mary, we cannot do this on our own. So we invite you now, help us, grow us, not only for our sake, we know this is for our good, but for the sake of this world you love. We long to see your kingdom come through our lives and our service. We pray in Jesus' name, always for his sake. Amen.